0: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? This is Bloomberg Daybreak here for this
1: Thursday, the 30th of March in London. Coming up today, the price of being too big to fail. The U.S. considers forcing large lenders to pay billions of dollars to cover the cost of recent bank failures. Go with the flow. Barclays predicts a second wave of deposits will be pulled from banks. And underwhelming, the U.K. unveils new energy plans but offers few carrots to compete
2: with the U.S. Britain gets set to sign a new trade deal, off-gem threats and wealthy savers delay retirement. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers and I'm Leanne Gerrans. Plus, playing catch-up, the city
1: stumbles in its own finance centre rankings.
2: That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Good morning. I'm Caroline Hepker. Here are the stories we're following today. Bloomberg understands the regulator that ensures U.S. deposits may ask big lenders to pay extra to cover the cost of recent bank failures. The FDIC expects to pay close to $23 billion to cover deposits lost when Silicon Valley Bank and Signature failed. Bloomberg's banking regulation reporter Katanga Johnson has the details of the scoop. So what we understand is that the FDIC is really considering boosting the reserves in the deposit insurance fund by charging larger banks um, a new rate assessment. We understand from uh, Martin Grunberg, the FDIC chair, during his conversations with lawmakers today, that truly he wants to protect community bankers and regional bankers from having to, to pay a larger share. Katanga Johnson says the FDRC has the power to speed up the process of refilling its coffers after a big payout and it can tailor how it sets those rates. Well, Barclays says that another wave of deposit outflows is on the cards as customers wake up to higher interest rates available in money market funds. The bank strategist, Joseph Abate, says that depositors may also feel that money markets offer a higher perceived level of safety than banks. However, European Central Bank Executive Board Member Isabel Schnabel says the move seems more of a US problem.
2: We have seen some uh, shifts from overnight deposits into time deposits, but we have not seen a general deposit outflows uh, of the banks. so what we've seen here, that there was a shift into money market funds, so that, that we have not seen. And so for now, um, the, the banking sector looks uh, rather resilient.
1: Schnabel was speaking at an event in Washington. Although she thinks that the outflows would be disinflationary, she's unsure how large any move would actually be. And the Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell has told Republicans to study the dot plot if they want to know how much further interest rates would rise this year. In a private meeting with lawmakers, the Fed chief pointed to the policy guide when asked about the rate path. The dot plot currently predicts one more 25 basis point hike this year. It has emerged that Swiss regulators actively encouraged UBS to bring back Sergio Amotti, who is Swiss, as CEO following the takeover of Credit Suisse. Speaking after the surprise announcement yesterday, Amotti sought to reassure the public that the combined bank will be a success.
3: Scale and size is not a problem if it's focused and well managed. I always say that uh, for me, the debate in nowadays is not uh, too big to fail. It's rather too small to survive. And we want to be a winner.
1: Amoshi ran UBS from 2011 to 2020 and takes over from the current CEO, Ralph Harmers, on the 5th of April. Here in the UK, the government is expected to announce its response to the US Inflation Reduction Act later today. But a draft document seen by Bloomberg News suggests little in the way of new spending. Yesterday, the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, responded to criticism that Britain doesn't seem to have a counter-offer to America's bumper green subsidies.
3: It's a good thing that the United States is taking climate change seriously and there's a lot of catch-up in what they are proposing to do um, because um, we are, even after the Inflation Reduction Act, we are spending a higher proportion of our GDP on the clean energy transition than the United States is.
1: Hunt's new plans include a home energy efficiency programme and also steps to speed up planning applications for renewable power. Well, there are plenty of worries in the City of London that other financial centres are catching up. Now, its own league table appears to confirm those fears, as Bloomberg's Ewan Potts reports now. New York now shares the top spot with London as the world's leading financial hub. But according to the City of London Corporation's own research, other centres, including Frankfurt and Paris, have boosted their attractiveness at a faster pace. The survey benchmarks the competitiveness of financial centres across 95 metrics. London scores 60, with Frankfurt on 46, the biggest gainer last year, and Paris on 43. The city is calling for the government to investigate how to convince high-growth industries to start, stay and scale in the UK. Still in London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so that's you and Potts there, uh, reporting on the city's own metrics from right here in the capital. Uh, so today, a Green Day, as billed by government officials, but it does already look like it may disappoint, perhaps both the renewable power industry and the fossil fuel industry at the same time. Look, the measures are meant to counteract or help the UK keep up with massive investment, not just from the US, but also from the EU. But a lot of the critics say and are wondering whether they'll be funding for home insulation, which is a huge issue, whether there'll be onshore uh, renewable power uh, as uh, perhaps easier through planning rules, that doesn't look likely. And also we do have carbon capture and storage. The government pinning a lot of hopes on that, it would seem from this plan. And that kind of um, has been criticised by some as not something that you can build up to scale. So lots of question marks about Green Day. But then there's also a very interesting piece by my colleague Phil Aldrich on the terminal. Have we learnt the lessons from the pandemic? No way, not when it comes to fraud. The National Audit Office says that fraud against UK taxpayers almost quadrupled during the two years of the pandemic. £21 billion and that we're most unlikely to actually be able to recover that. That's according to the watchdog, despite the efforts of HMRC, which look to be limited. A couple of the figures that struck me, the COVID support scheme accounted for £7.3 billion of fraud and benefit fraud was the biggest £7.9 billion over those 24 months of the pandemic. Have a read of that story on the Blueberg Terminal. Let's turn our attention now uh, to the US. Um, the span of 11 days in the US saw the collapse of three regional banks and then also one giant global one, of course, here Credit Suisse. Now the FDIC, the agency that stepped in, wants to spread the $23 billion in costs uh, from the demise of these businesses. Bloomberg's Markets reporter, Valerie Tytel, joins me now. So the idea is to get the big banks to pay then.
3: Well, that seems like to be the politically palatable option right now from what we've heard from the the week of testimonies about SVB's collapse, you know, that the... uh, politicians in Washington are really seeing that the big banks in the U.S. have benefited, benefited from these deposit inflows as people pull um, deposits from the smaller uh, banks and put them into the more implicitly backed uh, government, too big to fail banks, as we we should say. Um, so the the idea would be to, uh, in some way, put more of the burden onto the large banks in order to to, to, to pay, or I guess I say, rebuff the F- DIC's um, uh, fund
1: yeah absolutely rebuild it you know the deposit insurance fund absolutely essential to the sort of working the backstop what precedent is there for this and how would it actually work
3: well, the, the FDIC really has full discretion on how they raise this fund. And the thing that's funny, though, is that how they currently raise the fund is um, there is uh, four or five different risk categories they put a, put banks into, mm-hmm. and they charge the riskier banks uh, more in an insurance premium to add to the fund. Okay. So this would in some way be flipping it on its head. They would be charging the safer, larger institutions more money than the smaller, uh, riskier institutions in their their eyes. But they have full discretion to do that and they did that very similarly in 2009 when they needed to raise $5.5 billion. A lot of the burden went on to the big banks. JP Morgan ended up paying a, a, a decent fee, I should say, uh, to, to rebuild the fund then.
1: Okay, good, a good proportion. Um, what about the issue then uh, in Washington? As you say, it's been a hot topic. What's the kind of politics around this?
3: Look, they have been very uh, clear about their concerns that the U.S. is now entering into a two-tier banking system. You have the four massive institutions, and then you have all the smaller regional banks. And the issue that Yellen uh, and other lawmakers have made clear is that the the smaller community banks are less likely to get the same treatment that SVB did. They're less likely to get a bailout of uninsured depositors because they aren't systemically important. And lawmakers are not happy about that. So, you know, w- what the what we've heard from the FDIC does seem to, to tilt in the direction of charging the larger banks more as they have benefited from this uh, banking crisis.
1: Okay, Valerie, thank you so much for coming in and explaining the details of that story then how to fund uh, the banks after? to the demise of a number of regional banks in the U.S. That is our Bloomberg's markets reporter, Valerie Titel. Up next, Britain gets ready to sign a new trade deal, off-gem threats and wealthy savers delay
0: retirement. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc., OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at bloomberg.com techsf.
2: Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers.
1: And joining me this morning, it's been Leanne Gerens uh, with a look at the newspaper stories. Then let's start with this Telegraph headline. Britain is poised to sign Indo-Pacific trade deal
2: in Brexit victory. That's how the Telegraph describes it, Leanne. Yes, indeed, Caroline. Good morning to you. So post-Brexit Britain, Caroline, what is it going to look like? Okay, let me tell you. So it's on the brink of joining an India Indo-Pacific trade pack. And that's with 11 other countries. And the newspaper basically says this will unlock access to a $10 trillion market. So let's break it down. Tomorrow, the UK is actually expected to become the first non-founding member of the CPT. PP, Very catchy name. But the deal will highlight determination. And I think this is to play a role on the global stage, especially when it comes to the Indo-Pacific. Because, Caroline, do you remember the AUKUS defence pack mm. with the US and Australia is also in the making and to be signed? So this is something that I think that we're looking at in a world of post-Brexit. But you made up a really good point earlier yeah. to me. Basically, these countries in these 11 11- members pack are so far away yeah, I mean, and look, it is minimal. Australia, Canada, Japan,
1: Malaysia, Peru, Singapore, Vietnam. I mean, the, the issue is that you tend to trade more with people who are closer to you and these countries are all far away, but they do make up like 13% of the global economy. Yes, so ex- they
2: are important. Yeah, 13% of global domestic product and 15% of global trade. So it is important. And the UK is hoping that this will really spur their trade on a platform globally. And Jared Lyons, a former advisor to Boris Johnson, who is now an economist at Net Wealth Investment Services, he's been speaking to the paper and he says this is something that would not have been possible if we were still in the EU. And America was actually previously a member of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember working with you on the very day when Donald Trump Mm. withdrew from that partnership in 2017. But Britain already has bilateral ties with more than half of the 11 members we've just outlined there, Caroline. And that's all according to Bloomberg reporting. But a lot of this is seen as something that the UK is trying to build, as we do see a post-Brexit era.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's also real concerns about what it means for food standards, for pesticides, etc. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting. Um, the, the, I do remember the TPP moment <laughs> with Donald Trump. Okay, let's talk about Gem. The Times has this headline, Gem threatens the Times over prepaid metres expose. We talked about that Times reporting, didn't we, around... Where, You know when energy bills were going wild.
2: Yeah, we absolutely spoke about it and it all seemed a little bit unreal at the time. So now we've had a little bit of time to break it down and I'm going to explain to you what's really going on. And we do know that the Times did that big expose on what exactly was going on. But now the energy regulator Ofgem is actually threatening the Times newspaper and one of its journalists with criminal sanctions over what they did expose when energy bills were just rocketing the regulators apparently sent the legal threats after the newspaper disclosed that the agents working for British Gas were being sent to break into homes. And remember, Caroline, they were force-fitting these pre-payment meters, which charge a lot more for electricity, even when customers were known to have extreme vo- vulnerabilities and just couldn't pay their bills. And um, letters have been sent to Paul Morgan Bentley, he's head of investigation at the newspaper and the newspaper itself saying they will face fines if they don't hand over all of the reporters' relevant materials and the undercover footage Mm. that they did take. But The Times is just refusing to comply because obviously they're saying we have to protect journalistic material in a democratic society. And listen, it seems like an odd fight to to
1: wage with the newspaper, but... um, yeah, clearly but that's Caroline,
2: I think it's also important to highlight at the time that this was happening, it wasn't illegal what right. the companies yes. were doing, no, no, no. the it energy wasn't. companies. It and wasn't illegal. They could get a warrant. But I think things have now definitely solidified in light of this and different laws have been put into place. Yeah, And that could be the argument. But I mean, reporters' relevant materials is not a, something that's going to be handed over, you know, without Likely, a massive yeah. fight. Yes.
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, it's interesting. I think also the reporting around it was, was very... um yeah, it made a lot of waves, didn't it, in the way that it was reported by the Times. But anyway, the FT, wealthy UK savers delay retirement in wake of the pensions shakeup. Is this actual evidence that the budget worked? Well,
2: Caroline, maybe it is evidence of keeping people in work. So people with large pension pots are delaying retirement until the new financial year. And this is really to avoid the hefty tax charges. And this is according to advisors speaking to the FT on the subject. And as you remember, Caroline was here reporting on the budget late into the day and measures were announced to remove tax charges of up to 55% on savers accessing pension pots over a million pounds <laughs> of the lifetime limit. And you know this was an unexpected scrapping. We had the budget leaked for weeks didn't we? And it seems to have spurred people into action. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe your morning brief on the stories making news from
1: London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepger. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.